Romans chapter 12, and I uh, bought a new coat, and it's a little stiffer than I thought it was in the store. You know how you try one on, you go try another one on? So I'm like, which one did I try on the first that I liked, you know? So a little stiffer here this morning than I thought, plus the shirt's a little bigger. So, All right, Romans chapter number 12, if you will. Uh, let's just start reading in verse number 1, kind of get the flow here. And then we'll uh, get into our study. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Now, we've went through that last time. We're now, this morning, we're going to start in verse 3 in the new area, the second area here in our reasonable service. The first area is verse 1 and 2. Verses 1 and 2 are the foundational bedrock of this fourth section. So it's important that we get verse 1 and 2 down in properly in our thinking, in our understanding because of the issue of the end of verse 1, which is your reasonable service. And again, that, that's not logical. That's not what would be natural. You know, for some of us, the natural thing would be for us not to do anything. You know, I, when, when you talk, about, talk to people about evangelism and, go, you know, passing out tracts and stuff, well, oh, that's again, I don't like that. I'm, I'm an introvert. I don't want to do that. I'm scared. You know, those are excuses. Why? Because it's, a not a, it's not natural for my personality. So the issue of reasonable service here is not that. The issue here is the issue of we're going to have a service based upon sound, the sound doctrine that we have learned. We're going to get out of our uh, comfort zone, if you will. We're going to think outside of our box. That's why he says, verse 2, be not conformed to this world. What does the world say? The world says you need to do what is naturally yours to do. You need to what logically fits for you to do. That's what you need to do. You need to do what you want to do type of thing. No, don't let the world define you. Be not conformed. And so the issue as we go forward here in this third section, which is going to be the reasonable service unto the church, the body of Christ, to the members at large, in verse 3 to 16 is we have to remember the issue of reasonable, the reasonable service. That is, that well thought, that deliberate purpose approach to serving God. I'm thinking this through. I'm not just acting on an emotion, because that's what's going to get me in trouble, because what's my emotion? I don't want to do that. I'm not going to do that, so I'm not going to. No, I'm going to act upon... Well, what doctrine do I know from chapters 1 through 11? I've got all this doctrine, so I'm going to willfully think it through. I'm going to deliberately think it through. I'm going to have a purposeful approach to the issue of service. How am I going to do that? Verse 2, I'm going to be not conformed to this world, but I'm going to be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And that issue of renewing. See, folks, we're called to present ourselves... That is that issue of willingly, willfully choosing to do, to present ourselves. How? Transformed. Not conformed, not let the world define who we are, but rather transformed. To be that issue of transformed. And we went and we looked at the Mount of Transfiguration where the Lord is transfigured. The issue of transformed, literally letting, what, letting who you really are out. You ever have one of those moments when you just kind of let you let the real you speak <laughs> without the filter, okay? That's what you're, he's. You let the re, don't let the world define you. Be who you really are. Let the word of God define you. Let the sound doctrine define who you are, and let's let that be what out. So the issue of being transformed is simply manifesting who you are inwardly. Let the life of Christ come out. And that's literally how we're going to do. And that's what the end of verse 2 is really all about. Proving that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Now, 
Those aren't degrees of the will of God, okay? Those are that issue of good, acceptable, and perfect. That issue of good. Uh, we went and looked back in Genesis when he created, and he said, that's good. Good in what manner? Good in that it's got a purpose. It's got intent. The will of God has purpose. It has a reason for what it's going to tell us to do now. And the rest of the section of, uh, really the rest of, the, of his epistles, and here's what that intent is. So if it's good, it's got a perfect, it's got a purpose, then what is it? It's acceptable. I'm to believe it. I'm to go do it. And then what is it going to do? Well, it's going to perfect me. It's going to mature me up. It's going to grow. It's going to have an impact on my soul. It's going to have an impact on my inner man. And again, that's the issue here moving forward because what Paul's going to do now is he's going to educate the believer, educate the reader, educate the saints at Rome there about what the will of God is. Now, you have to remember where we're sitting. We're in Romans, and not every... Romans is written Acts 20, 21, not Ephesians and Philippians and Colossians and Timothy and Titus and Philemon. None of that's been written yet. What's been written? Romans, the Corinthians, Galatians, Thessalonians. What's the information that he's been communicating? He's been communicating what? Well, here's what the will of God is. Here's the whole of it. So when he says to prove it, he's not talking about seeking it. He's not talking about trying to discern the events of life to figure out, you know, all right, what would the will of God have me to be? We were talking last week about how to figure out a job. Well, what is the will of God concerning employment? Well, the scripture says get a job. Get a haircut and get a real job is what old George said, but get a job. He doesn't say what kind. Now, he gives us guidelines in 1 Corinthians 6 and 1 Corinthians 10 on how to make the appropriate decision for our life, our situation in that moment. Is it expedient? Is it lawful? Well, yeah, get a job. Is it expedient? Is it in my best interest? Will it put me under bondage somehow to not being able to be who I am as, as a believer? You know, you think about being a believer and being a bartender. Now, there's nothing wrong with being a bartender, but for a believer, that should be a what? That should be a little bit of a struggle, see? It should be. Thank you, okay? But it just, there's nothing wrong with tending bar. But it, as a believer, and then you're going to say, and then if you're going to do the work of an evangelist and say, I'm a believer, what are people going to do? Wait a minute, you're a believer, and you work in a bar, and you get people drunk, and, you know, aren't you, aren't you uh, a, a, uh, a, felicita- yeah, um, a, a hypocrite, an enabler? I'm looking for the word enabler. Aren't you an enabler to sin? You know, I, you can hear it. Yeah, you know how people think. But it is, there's not, so it, does it put me in a position where I can't do? Is it edifying others? Being a bartender might not edify other believers, you know. It's, it's just a simple illustration. I have nothing against bartenders, okay? They're probably some of the most psychologically advantaged people there are to listen to everybody's garbage every day, Okay. But anyway, the thing is, is you, what is the will of God? Get it? What about marriage? There's, you know the will of God says that if you're going to get married, that your spouse only has to be in the Lord? That's it? We put our own prim, prim, uh, societal rules on that and so forth, and it's right here. So the thing is, is prove it. That's the point. The point in, in verse 3 or verse 2 isn't the good, acceptable, and perfect, those supposedly degrees of of the will of God, it's the issue of proving it. The will of God is knowable. It's been revealed. It's available. It's objective. And what we're called to do is not try to figure it out. We're called to what? Prove it. That's what we're called proving. And I think that's kind of where we were last week when we, so let's clean a little bit of this up on this issue of proving. The issue here is to experience it. When you prove something, you encounter it. It isn't saying figure it out, discern it, you know, read the signpost. It's like we are to put the will of God to the test of practical experience. Uh, 
That's the challenge. Prove it. The will of God isn't mystical. It isn't hokey. It isn't hard to find out. It isn't unique for Rick, and then therefore then unique for you. Actually, it's the same for me as it is for you. 1 Timothy 2, verse 3 and 4, the will of God is what? He would have all men be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. That's pretty standard, isn't it? The, look over at uh, 1 Thessalonians 4, a passage that gets neglected because we always run to the end of the chapter, end of the end of, but look at 1 Thessalonians 4. Look at verse 3. For this is the will of God, even your sanctification, that you should abstain from fornication. That's pretty clear, isn't it? What's the will of God? You should, you should be living a, a pure life, a clean life. You shouldn't have little intricacies in there that are abnormal. You see, so the will of God is knowable. Pray without ceasing. Look at, look at first, you're in 1 Thessalonians 4. Look in chapter 5. Chapter 5. In verse 18. In everything give thanks. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. Then say for everything, it says what? In everything. So in the moment, what are you supposed to do? Give thanks that you have the moment to allow the sound doctrine that you've learned to transform you, to renew your mind into having the real you pop out and come out. So the issue of proving, come back to... Uh, 1 Samuel 17, give you an illustration of this. The issue of proving it is that issue of you encountering it. You test it. You are trying it out. You're, you're out there doing it, and you're showing the reality of it. What is the reality of it? Here is what it looks like. You're establishing what God has been saying in the doctrine as to be true. 1 Samuel 17. So you're not verifying the will of God. By the way, good luck with that, right? <laughs> okay? You're not trying to figure it out. You're not trying to, you know, all the stuff that Christianity says. Rather, what Paul's going to do in verse chapter 12, verse 3 to the end is, here's the will of God in these areas. Now take it, experience it. Take it, Live it, verify it, prove it, test it. And how am I going to do that? I'm going to do it by go out there and living it. That's why the passage in, in Romans 13, the first verses 1 to 7 there, 8 there, about government gets everybody so riled up. Why? Because the governmental conversation is a very emotional conversation. Do you realize that when Paul says, every, let every soul be subject, that is an inner man issue. That's something inside of you that isn't based upon on emotion, it's based on sound doctrine learned. And when we get there, we'll go through it and we'll show you how, how God established the governments. And he's not talking about the people, he's talking about the powers that be. He's talking about the system and the structure. And how you, as a believer, have the opportunity to allow the life of Christ to shine out in that arena of government, politics. You can do that. But you have to be doing it from a renewed mindset, a reasonable service mindset. We have an opportunity to test it, to prove it. And that's our call. Our call isn't to figure it out. It's revealed to us. The mystery of his will has been made known, Ephesians 1, 9, and 10. Now we go and take it and live. Now watch 1 Samuel 17. 1 Samuel 17, you have David and Goliath. And you got King Saul. And old David, old Saul told David, come over here and put my armor on. Okay? And down to verse, just down to verse 38. Down to verse 38. So David puts Saul's armor on. Now, who's, Saul's armor is made for who? Saul. Now watch David. And Saul, verse 38, Saul armed David with his armor, and he put a helmet of brass upon his head. Also he armed him with a coat of mail. And David girded his sword upon his armor, and he essayed to go. He's not going to go, not going to do this. For he had not, what, 
proved it. And David said unto Saul, I cannot go with these, for I have not proved them. And David put them off of him. When he says, I haven't proved it, what, did David, what has David not been able to do with Saul's armor? Wear it in the battle. See? David hasn't been able to take that armor and say, you know what? It's going to do its job. He hasn't what? Proved it. Okay? So the issue of proving a say not to go, why? He hadn't tested it. First of all, it doesn't fit him. By the way, what did David go out with? You remember? The, the five stones and the slingshot. Why would he go with that? He has what? Proved that in life. He knows the five stone, he knows one stone will do the job, but just in case you've got to have backup. You know, it always cracks me up, these guys with the guns and the 50 rounds of ammo in the clip, you know. If you can't hit them with the first one, you shouldn't be with the gun, shouldn't be handling a gun. I remember a Clint Eastwood movie. I couldn't tell you which one, and he's gotten his, he's a Western, you know, spaghetti Western. And he's like, no, no, it wasn't. It was a Dirty Harry movie. And he's like, if I can't hit him with one, I don't need, six ain't going to help. I got to hit him with the first. So what did David know? The first stone would get the job done. I've proved that. Actually, he killed a bear and a lion off of one, didn't he? I've proved, that's the point. Come over to Malachi chapter 3 on our way back to Romans, Malachi 3. So the issue here is our challenge is to prove it, validate it in our experience. Come over here and say, okay, Lord, you tell me to feed my enemy when I have an enemy. You tell me to feed him in the thirst, and that's going to heap coals, and that's going to get the conviction rolling. That's Romans 12. 1920, I think we looked at that at the end last time. That's going to work. Let me see if that really works. I'm going to test you out. It isn't an unbelief because you believe in doing it. Let me see if it's going to work. Malachi 3. This is a passage that everybody talks about. Verse 8, will, man, will a man rob God? Yet ye have robbed me. Now, the ye here is Israel. This is the nation of Israel. They failed to do, they're, they're failing to do their uh, Obey the, the, the tithes and offerings. There, verse 8, and tithes and offerings. Verse 9, ye are cursed with the curse, for ye have robbed me, even this whole nation. Bring ye, so the nation, verse 10, all the tithes into the storehouse that there may be meat in my house. And what? Prove me now herewith, saith the Lord of hosts, if I will not open you the windows of heaven and pour you out a blessing that there shall not be a room enough to receive. What are they to do? They're to prove him. How are they going to do it? Go over here and obey the word. Do what the word says to do. And it, you know what God's saying to Israel? Try me out. Test me. I've given you all these blessings that if you obey, if you'll just obey, try me out. Watch what I'm going to do. It's the same principle when we come back to chapter 12 of Romans. So when he says to prove, by the way, on your way back to Romans 12, stop in Romans 2. Romans 2, 17. Behold, thou art, thou art called a Jew, and restest in the law, and makest thy boast of God, and knowest his will, and approvest the things that are more excellent, being instructed out of the law. They have the law. What are they able to do? They're able to test it. You know that, geometry, show your work, show your proof, prove it. That's the issue, test it out. So in 12.2, 12.1 2, the foundational verses to what we're going to do in our reasonable service here, true worship of God is going to be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Worship isn't singing and swaying and doing the you know, the Christian boogie-woogie, okay? No, this is what you're going to do. What are you going to do? You're going to have a reasonable service. You're going to have a well-thought-out service where we've learned sound doctrine, and now we're going to go present it, put it on display, manifest it in our lives. Now, starting in verse 3. By the way, we're only going to get through verse 3, I'm afraid, this morning, hopefully. <laughs> in verse 3. For I say, through the grace given unto me to every man that is among you, 
not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly, according as God hath dealt to every man the measure of faith. So from verse 3 now down to verse 16, we're entering into the second arena of our reasonable service. But we're entering into the first area concerning the will of God. So here's the will of God concerning our reasonable service in our relationships to the members of the church, the body of Christ. Okay? In verse 17 to 21, here's the will of God in our reasonable service as we relate to the lost. Verse 20, uh, chapter 13, verse 1 to 7. Here's the will of God concerning our reasonable service as we relate to human government, to the government about us. 13, 8 to 14, here's God's word in our, concerning our reasonable service as we relate to the world about us, culture, society. Chapter 14, 1 through chapter 15, verse 7, here's the will of God concerning our reasonable service as we relate to the weaker brother. Do you see what's happening here? Paul is laying, he's not saying, just go prove the will of God, and, amen. He says, Here's what the will of God is based upon you understanding who you are, presenting yourselves, being transformed by the renewing, based upon who you really are from Romans 6, 7, and 8, who you're not, Romans 9, 10, and 11. Here's now what you're going to do. Here's what this is going to look like. So we're literally going to start learning a great deal here concerning the will of God as it's related to our reasonable service in these areas. Now, in chapter 12, in verse 3 to 16, it breaks up into two sections. The first section is in uh, verse 3 to 8. Uh, I'm sorry, is in verse 3 to 8. Okay? And that has to do with our interaction that actually verse 3 to 8 uh, breaks up into two subsections. In verse 3 to 5, here's the information on how God has designed the church, the body of Christ, period. For the first time in verse number 4, we're going fi- to read about a body being what's going to illustrate and what's representing the Lord Jesus Christ. So for the first time ever in Scripture do we hear this thing about a body. Before it's been a nation, right? A a church. Now it's a church, his body. In verse 6 to 8, we're going to find out how that body is going to minister to itself. And then in 9 to 16, we're going to have that, see how the body uh, is to interact with each other. So we're, we're kind of taking it and whittling it down for you, but it all starts coming out of verse 3 with the proper understanding of what, what, what it is that God is doing with the church, the body of Christ, the church, his body. Now, let's get into verse 3, because Paul says it, For I say, okay, here goes Paul again, most egotistical writer in the whole book. I, I, me, me, my. For I say, what did, how did he start 11, 1? Chapter, Romans 11, verse 1. I say then, I, 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 me, 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 me. And everybody, people come in and say, see, what, see, look at Paul. He's just stuck on himself. Well, not necessarily. Because look at what he says. For I say... How? The fact that I'm such a wonderful man? The fact that I'm this great guy? No. He says what? I say through the grace given to me. See how he's going to preface it here. Paul's manner was to say I. He was to say me. He was to say my. But it's because he's saying it as who? The apostle of the Gentiles. Do you follow See, he's not saying this because he's on an ego trip. If that was the case, he would have stayed in the Jews' religion because he was 
the head spokesman guy. He was a leader of the pack. Now he's the off-scurring. Now he's the scum of the bucket. Over here he was toting the bucket. Now he's a, So he would never have said anything different. But notice the issue here. The issue is through the grace given unto me. And that's why he talks about himself. That phrase, through the grace given unto me, is the signal. Now, it's a signal not about salvation, not about justification, not about eternal life, not about your identity, but it's a signal that what God is doing today has been given to the Apostle Paul and therefore revealed to the world through the Apostle Paul. Okay? Look at Romans 11 and look at verse 13. We need to always remember, folks, that the means by which God draws the attention of the church today to what he's doing in the dispensation of grace is through the call, the conversion, and the commissioning of Paul. For, uh, you got Romans 11? Stick something there. Run back to 1 Timothy 1. You have to remember this, and this is going to be vitally critical in, the, in this area that we're getting into about the will of God concerning our reasonable service. 1 Timothy 1, verse 16, Paul says, Howbeit for this cause I obtain mercy, that in me, what? First, Jesus Christ might show forth all long suffering for a pattern to them which should hereafter believe on him to life everlasting. That's what he's talking about. Now go back there to Romans 11. He's when we want to know what God's doing today, we don't go to Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. We have to go where? To Paul's 13 epistles. And that, So when he says, through the grace, for I say, comma, through the grace given to me, why, how do I, Paul, have the authority, the ability, the, the right to say what I'm about to say that you don't think any high, more highly than you ought to think about yourself? How can, what authority do I have to say for you to present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service? And be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind and prove the will of God. How, what, I say it, how? Through the grace that was given to me. Romans eleven thirteen. Paul says, For I speak to you Gentiles, inasmuch as I am the apostle of the Gentiles, I magnify myself. I magnify my past. No, my what? My office. And that's the issue. He's, it's his office. And I'll be honest with you, and where everybody messes this up, come back over there to chapter 12, is that if you want to know what the will of God for you is today, then you have to start with recognizing the official mouthpiece the official due time testifier, the official spokesman for the dispensation of grace, and that is the Apostle Paul. If you don't recognize him and his unique office and ministry, then you will end up breaking your Christian neck trying to do stuff that won't and does not work and happen, and you'll and we're talking about the will of God, and you'll just live a very frustrated life, Christian life, and off you go. So if you try to find the will of God outside of the Apostle Paul, the Apostleship of Paul, you'll not be able to prove, test it, validate what the will of God is. Because what, think about in Acts, what did he tell them to do? Sell all that you have. How are you doing with that? That's the will of God. How are you doing with that? You're to sell it all and to bring it and lay it here at the preacher's feet. That's right? Isn't that what they say? How are you doing with that? What's going to happen? You can go sell. Man, right now is a great time to sell. Right? Big money, big money. You can, and the next thing you know, you're going to be the one that I'm having to deliver water to on the street. Why? Because that's not the will of God today. But wait a minute, it's scriptural, but it's just not what? Dispensation. It's not Apostle Paul. 
And that's the danger. That's why in verse 3 he starts, For I say, through the grace given to me. And that's the key. That phrase is the key to understanding the rest of the verse and subsequently the rest of this fourth section. When he says, through the grace given to me, again, he is not talking about identity truth. He is not talking about uh, salvation or eternal life. He's talking about specifically about his office, the office that he holds as the apostle of the Gentiles. At the very start here, again, what is verse 2? We're going to prove what's good, acceptable, and perfect about the will of God. We're going to go test it. We're going to go live it. We're going to go try it out. And at the very start, Paul is demonstrating that in order for you to do that, in order for you to do verse 1 and 2, you have to know what God's doing today in and through the Apostle Paul. Okay? We got it? All right, let's break. No. Because that's what's happening here. Because what, what do people try to do? They try to go do a whole bunch. That thing in Malachi 3 we we're reading about tithes and offering. You, you should tithe and you should offer. It's the will of God. Really? How are you doing with that? By the way, tithes and offerings, two different things. Well, we tithe on the gross. Well, what about the net? You're supposed to tithe on the net too. Well, you know, offerings, the free will offerings, those are going above and beyond. Those are all, you start getting into this and the next thing you know, you're giving half, half your stuff away. Well, it's only 10%. No, it's more like 20-something percent, 23 right in there. And then a free will offering. So, man, give it a quarter. Call it 25. 25, there's 50%. Woohoo! How you doing with that? Oh, let's go. You know, no. Where are we at? Wrong program. So what's God doing today in the dispensation of grace? Hey, as a man sat and what? Purposed in his heart. Said, hey, this is how, this is what I value the ministry to be, and that's what we're going to do. This is where the value is. If you, if you stray from Paul, Paul, the issue of apostasy, the first step in apostasy, come back over there to 1 Timothy 1. Sorry, 2 Timothy 1. It's very fascinating to me that as Paul is laying the foundation for the believer, section 4, boom, up and running. He gets that, those foundational verses of how we're going to operate. And then right off the bat, he says, you got to remember where you're coming to. Look, because something's going to happen. 2 Timothy 1, look at verse number 8. Be not thou therefore ashamed of the testimony of our Lord. All right, well, what's the testimony of our Lord? We preach Jesus Christ according to the revelation of the mystery, which was kept secret, but now is made known. What's the testimony of the Lord? What's God doing today? Dispensation of grace and, and so forth, right? Nor of me his prisoner. Isn't that interesting? He says, listen, guys, don't... The first step in apostasy is to leave the word of God rightly divided. And when you do that, you're leaving the apostle Paul. And he's the what? The due time testifier. And if you leave Paul, then what are you going to leave? Right division. Because he's the one that tells you to rightly divide the word of truth. He says here in your foundation, Romans, go back to Romans 12, what are you going to do? Remember, I say this to you because of who I am, through the grace given to me. Now, come over with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 3. I know I look around the room, and everybody in the room got this, okay, Rick, move on, look. Because we understand that here. There are some that don't, that will listen and so forth, and that some that do, that argue about it. So we're going to hammer it home a little bit here. 1 Corinthians 3. Watch verse number 10. Now, in 1 Corinthians 10, Paul's dealing with the Corinthians. By the way, who are the Corinthians? Are they mature or are they babes? They're babes. And he's laying out some things here about reasonable service. 
And he says in verse 9, For we are laborers together with God. Ye are God's husbandry. Ye are God's building. There's who you are. According to the grace of God which is given unto me. Look at that. See? The grace of God which is given unto me. Watch now. As a wise master builder. What's the grace of God that was given to him? A wise master builder. I have laid the foundation, and another buildeth on, but let every man take heed how he buildeth thereupon. For other foundation can no man lay than that is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Notice this very carefully. The grace of God that was given unto him is connected to him being the wise master builder, the laying of the foundation, not salvation, not justification, not identity truth, not what is it in relation to. This, do you know that before Paul, no one was laying the foundation of the Lord Jesus Christ? The closest one was old John the Baptist as the crier in the wilderness. The prophets talked about him, but they didn't what? Lay the foundation. They gave what was spoken, wrote it down. What did John do? The guy I'm talking about, there he is. Remember John 3, the baptism? What does Paul do? Paul comes in and, hey, the grace of God that was given to me, I'm the guy laying the foundation. I'm the guy laying this out. I'm the one that's laying the foundation here that all of this is built upon. By the way, it's Calvary. Okay? That's what's going to happen as we go through there. But what I want you to see is that phrase, the grace of God that was given unto me, what? As a wise master builder. You see, the grace that was bestowed upon Saul of Tarsus. Well, what grace was bestowed upon Saul of Tarsus? Well, come over to 1 Timothy 1 again. And again, we're talking about, we're using Paul's record, Paul's words, and you just you got to think this through. So when he says, for I say through the grace of God given, there's a, there is, he is the authority. He's the, he's the due time testifier. He's the one laying in the foundation here. 1 Timothy 1, look at verse, oh, where to start? Verse 11, according to the glory, well, verse Verse 12, And I thank Christ Jesus our Lord who hath enabled me, for that he counted me faithful, putting me into the ministry, who was before a blasphemer and a persecutor and injurious, and, but I obtained mercy because I did it ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord Jesus was exceeding abundant with faith and love, which is in Christ Jesus. This is a faith. Do you see verse 13? Who was Saul of Tarsus? Who was Paul? He was... He, he wreaked havoc on the, the little flock, didn't he? He was not a lover of Christ. He was a hater of Christ. He, he sits there and he's a blasphemer and a persecutor and injurious. He, he, and yet, what did the grace of God do on the road to Damascus? Stopped him. Said, you're my guy. And Paul gets some information and some revelation. Come over to Ephesians 3. And he says, you know what? Well, actually, we didn't finish 1 Timothy 1 there. Verse 15, this is a faithful saying and worthy of acceptation that Christ Jesus came in the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. Howbeit for this cause I obtain mercy. Why does he obtain mercy? Why is there grace that, should, that was going to be given to Paul? Saul of Tarsus, Paul. That in me first Jesus Christ might what? Show forth all long suffering for a what? A pattern to them that which should hereafter believe. See, Paul's that pattern for that Gentile, that he's the pattern for the church, the body of Christ, and everything moving forward. He's the first guy in. What did he show? What did the grace Ephesians 3, verse 1? So when Paul starts here, I say. There's some things happening here. He's reminding us. Ephesians 3.1, For this cause I, Paul, there we go again, the prisoner of Jesus Christ for you Gentiles, if you've heard of the dispensation of grace, of the grace of God which is given me 
to you word. How that by revelation he made known unto me the mystery. Notice this. Here's Paul again. The dispensation. The dispensation of grace. The grace of God get, that was given to Paul. It has to do with the revelation of what? Of the mystery. It has to do with, well, verse 3, as I wrote a four and a few words, whereby when you read you may understand my knowledge in the mystery of Christ. Verse 5, which in other ages was not made known unto the sons of men, as it is now revealed unto his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. Well, what's revealed? What's the, the unsearchable, unknowable revelation? Well, that the Gentiles should be fellow heirs and of the same body and partakers of his promise in Christ by the gospel, whereof I was made a minister according to the gift of the grace of God. You see, the gift of the grace, it isn't about justification. It isn't about salvation. It's about the message that was given to Paul, Saul of Tarsus, to be the what? Well, verse 8, unto whom, unto me, who am less than the least of all the saints, and is this grace given that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ? And to make all men see. And off he goes. What's, so when you come back to chapter 12, that's where he starts. In dealing with true worship, if you want to call it that, in dealing with our God's will and connection to our reasonable service. And he says, if you want to know the will of God, you're going to find it. With me, Paul, the 13 epistles. And that's critical here because of what's in the rest of verse number 3. Okay? Because watch what he says, 12.3. To every man that is among you, we'll get back to that, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think. Now, why would you get a, high, why would you get a fat head? What did we just learn in chapters 9, 10, and 11 that God did to his people, Israel. Fell them. Cut them off. Why? So he could go do a work amongst two. The Gentiles. So what would the Gentiles say? Well, that's all right, man. We're pretty good stuff. Right? Isn't that what he says? Verse, chapter 11. Verse 19. That will say then, the branches were broken off that I might be grafted in. It, Israel couldn't get it done, but I can sure enough do it. And you know what he says? Paul says, hey, don't you dare think more high. If you're thinking more highly than you ought to think about yourself, then you are not in, verse, in 12, 1 and 2. You're over here in your flesh. Then he says, but to think soberly. Accordingly, as God had dealt to every man the measure of faith. We'll get there in just a second. You see, how, we're not to think more highly than we ought to think, so then how should we think? Okay? Well, we, we under, renewed mind, reasonable service, but starting in verse 4. For as we have many members in one body, and our members have not the same office, so we being many are one body in Christ, and every one members one of another, having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us, where, whether prophecy let us prophesy according to the prophet, proportion of faith, and off he goes. You see, there's a certain way we're to be thinking here. Paul, in verse 3, you, you're not to, think more, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think. That is a warning, because that, the tendency of you, of your flesh, is to do what? Well, when God got me, he got somebody. Don't you know? And there's a warning. By the way, look at verse 16, the end of this section. Be of the same mind one toward another. Mind not high things, but condescend to men of low estate. Be not wise in your own. See how he ends this section with the same warning? Why? Because this is a battle for your mind. It's a battle for your thinking. So this is a critical issue here. That we're not to view ourselves more than what we are. And the way that we're to think about, the way that we think this stuff through has to do with that relationship and it's connected to how we interact with each other, with the other members of the body. How are we to think? Verse 3. 
soberly, clearly, rightly. We're to think the way God would have us to think. If we're already renewing our mind and we're presenting our bodies and we're, we're taking the sound doctrine that we've learned and we're out here in life living it, then what are, how are we already thinking how God would have us to think? And that's the issue. Come over to Philippians chapter 2 quickly. Great illustration of it here in Philippians 2. Here's what our thinking is to be like, Philippians 2.1. If there be therefore any consolation in Christ, if any comfort or love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any bowels and mercy, fulfill ye my joy that ye be what? Like-minded. Having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. Let nothing be done through strife or vainglory. Isn't that interesting? What does Paul tell us to do? Let's be one-minded, let's be like-minded, let's be of one mind. But don't. But what tends to show up? <laughs> Your little flesh does, so you're going to have a little strife and vainglory. But rather we're to be what? Lowliness of mind. Let each esteem other better than themselves. Wow, what a mindset. Verse 5, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. And then in verse 6, 7, and 8, he illustrates, here's the mindset that we're to have. Here's, how, here's the viewpoint we're to take. So when you come back to chapter 12, verse 3, and he says, hey, we ought to, let's not mind the high things. Let's not think of ourselves more highly than he ought. Don't get a fat head over here. I, by the way, you can do that by thinking about all your spiritual blessings. I'm forgiven. I'm beloved. I'm accepted. You can real quickly get us, you know, uh, what's the song? Uh, you can't, can't touch this? Dun, 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 you know, you can real quickly get there. And yet, what does Paul say? Don't you get there. Don't get there. You need to be mindful. You to be, this is a, that's why that word reasonable, will, thoughtful, deliberate, purposeful living. That's who you are in Christ. Not just whimsical, not just in the spare of the moment, but here's who I am. Here's where we're going. This is what I'm doing. Soberly, right-minded. You understand that. You, <laughs> Ephesians 5.18, be not drunk with wine wherein is excess. When when you're drunk, you're cloudy. You're not clear. You're not able to think properly. You're doing just whatever the whims. I, I said that this, don't touch this, the song. Now I got the thing, and it came through my mind, which was, uh, I just had it. Doggone it. Isn't that crazy? When the, anyway, doesn't matter. Probably inappropriate anyway, so need to be appropriate, right? That's not me, I guess. I don't know. But, uh going to bug me now it's a song it's a country western song so not when you're when you're sober you're not under the influence of your self your flesh yesterday they had on the news about the dui checkpoints and everything and the task force and the lady was that they were interviewing she said we're seeing more and more duis that are marijuana driven not alcohol-driven. She goes, alcohol's always there, but now that marijuana is legal, we find more and more of that happening. And I'm like, hmm, don't touch this. <laughs> you know, that's what's happening. What Sober, not under the influence of yourself, your flesh, but being under the influence of presenting my body a living sacrifice as who, as who I am in Christ by my renewed mind. We need to learn, we need to think how God thinks. We need to view life the way God views life. By the way, do you know that God, how God views life? You have no more enemies. That's how God views life. See, we view life as an enemy. It's always there. Enemy, this and that, you know. You know. I, God says, no, we don't, you don't view life that way. Look at Romans 8. Just think about this. To think soberly, not get puffed up, not up here on the high horse, but down here where life, 
We're proving the will of God. We're out here testing it. And you know what he says? Let's test this. Look at Romans 8. Look at verse 35. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Now, watch the list. Because the list is life. Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? That's life. Think about that. Think about tribulation, the pressures of life. Distress. No way to escape it. Persecution, nakedness, the absence of physical necessities, peril, the dangers of everyday life in a fallen world. Do you know you take your life in your hands every day you go outside your house? And in some cases, you take your life in your hands inside your own house. It's called the peril. See, this is life. Sword, there's the government. Famine, there's economic pressures. Think about what's happening right now in life economically. There's a pressure on it. Why? It's just the way the world turns. That was a soap opera. As the, life, as the world is still there, I don't know, okay? See... And what does he say? Verse 37. Nay, in all these things we are what? More than conquerors through him that loved us. Can, can life, is life your enemy? No, it's not. Why? Because you're to take those circumstances of life and be transformed by the renewing of your mind and present your body a living sacrifice and you're to come over there and you are to have victory in that. You see, we've been released to a life of victory. No one will change the, by the way, verse 38, For I am persuaded that neither death nor life nor angels nor principalities nor powers nor present nor things to come nor height nor depth nor any other creature. You see, now we're moved off into the spiritual realm, the things we can't see. None of those are going to do what? shall be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ. You see, we, no one will change what God intends for the believer today. Nothing can, life, by the way, is death an enemy? No. Why? Resurrection. See, you have no enemies, and yet how do we view life sometimes? We have an air conditioner in our garage, and you know what happened? It quit working. So I go to Lowe's. 500 bucks for an air, I I get the fans out, prop the door open. Come to find out we got a little air conditioner left over from Brian when he was alive, which is now 10 years ago, 11 years ago, something like that. You know what we did? Propped that thing up, and guess what? It cooled it down to a cool 90 degrees. And I'm like, well, at least it's not 110. You know what's going to happen? We're going to use that until air conditioners go on big sale, <laughs> which is never probably in the fall. Yeah, But what is I can sit there and say, you know what, this just, or I can say, you know what, I got an opportunity now to go to Lowe's with a good spirit, with the right thinking, with the sober mind, and say, hey, how much is the medium? It's $400, 300 and something dollars. Well, you know what, that's just a little much out of the budget right now. Why? Because I just spent 150 at the gas can, at the gas tank, or at the gas station. And that's with the Fry's rebate for spending all my grocery money at Fry's. Can't win for losing. So why bother? No, I got an opportunity. And off you go. Now, come back to 12, Romans 12. You see, that's, man, you know what will happen? You think more highly of yourself. You think you're something else. You think God's going to do what? He's going to protect you. He's going to come in and make that air conditioner abracadabra and run for another 10 years, which I wish it would, but it ain't. No, that's called life. But in life, what am I? I am a more than conqueror. I'm victory. See, that's taking the, do the doctrines learned and putting it into shoe leather. Now, quickly, we've got five minutes. The end of that verse. According, to God, uh, according as God hath dealt to every man the measure of faith. Now, we're, this issue about the measure of faith, because down we're going to have, like in verse 6, we're going to have a conversation about the gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us and the proportion of faith. So you're going to quickly get into some sketchy areas here in Christianity because they don't watch what the verse says. 
okay? Notice verse 3. According as God hath dealt to every man a measure of faith. Is that what it said? The answer is no. But that's what Christianity says. Christianity says that God has given me a measure of faith and he gave me 75%. But he gave Bruce 25%. He gave Keith 5%. Keith's got a lot of work to do. See, That's what they say, isn't it? But that's not what the verse read, is it? What did the verse say? The measure of faith. They're different. Notice verse 3. Uh, For I say through the grace given unto me to who? To every man, according as God hath dealt to what? Every man. There's an equal dealing here. The measure of faith, measure, that's a unit. It's not a various thing. Twelve inches is a what? A foot. Right? Twelve centimeters is not a foot. That's really short. 12 inches is a what? So if I lay a ruler down there and I say we're going to go 12 inches, then what's going to happen? Everybody knows what the 12 inches looks like. It's a what? It's a measure. It's a standard. That's the standard. I was measuring the backyard out there looking to do a sail, a cover over the back patio area, and I got a tape measure out, and it only went 20 feet. So guess what I did? I went 20, and I go, okay, stick the leg there. All right, it's roughly right there, and I got roughly about 32 feet, right? <laughs> That's not a measure. That's a guess. A measure says what? Get the 100-footer and measure it out right. You follow that? So the measure here isn't a, it's, it's an objective standard, and it's an objective standard of faith. It's a system of faith. It's a ruler. It's equal amounts. And the objective standard, the measure of the faith, it's what God has revealed through and to the Apostle Paul. He's given it to who? Every man, equally. There isn't, we're going to give this group, Paul tells tells the Ephesians in Acts, "I I held nothing back from you. I gave it all to you. That's the measure of faith. Now, when we get down into proportions and everything, a little different because of the gift situation. But the issue here is what has God revealed to the Apostle Paul, who has subsequently wrote it as we sit here in Romans? He has not given him Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, Timothy, Titus and Philemon yet. He's giving him what? Romans, Corinthians, Galatians, Thessalonians. So that measure of faith, what, what's more's coming, isn't it? One foot, 12 inches, what's 36 inches? Three feet, it's a yard. That's more information, isn't it? By the way, notice I said 36 inches, three feet, and a yard. We came up, 12 inches is just a foot. Now we got 36 inches, 3 feet, and a what? And we got another name added. More revelation. We're to think with the standard that God has given us. What has God given us to the saints at Rome just as much? You and I, we sit privileged that no one ever no one else in history can say we have the what the completed revelation see that so when we study Romans 1 through 11 there's the measure of faith there's the standard now as we study Ephesians and so forth what happens to our standard it goes from 1 foot to 3 foot to all the way out. That's the measure of faith. We're to think with the standard we're to think with that standard that God has given us so that we can be transformed, 
so that we can have a renewed mind, so we can have a sober, clear-minded, clear thinking as we learn the sound doctrine, as we believe the sound doctrine, and then as we apply the sound doctrine. Okay? And that's what he's going to start now in verse 4, and we'll get that next time. All right? Because, so, that's, so don't let somebody trip up and say, well, I got more measure of faith than you got more. No, the measure of what? Faith. Cometh, faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the what? The word of God. What has Paul revealed to the Romans? Well, just really the Romans' doctrine. He hasn't advanced us yet. We're not there yet. He's here. Okay, now we get over in the advanced. What are we to do? We're to get the rule, Philippians 2, Philippians 3. We're to mind the rule and we're to keep growing, keep maturing along. But here's the, you know what the rule is? You've been justified by faith alone. You've been given an identity. Go live in that identity. Take that identity now and apply it to every detail of life. Okay? So these first three verses are powerful. It's taken us five weeks to get through them. Now, we'll get into verse 4 and move on, Lord willing, and hope, okay? All right, dear Father, we thank you for the morning, Lord. We thank you for your word. We thank you for the word that you've given to us, that you've revealed to us, that as we begin to learn about and we begin to prove it, we would do so with a clarity of mind and a willingness to have that lowliness of mind to esteem what you say above everything else. In your name we pray. Amen. All right, we'll see you back here at 11.